So a flowering bee lawn is unique where we still want to encourage and maintain recreation uh, within this kind of planting while still promoting some form of pollinator habitat and forage. So a flowering bee lawn maintains some of the elements of a traditional turf grass lawn where we still have turf grass species present. We're just trying to introduce some low growing flowers to the planted area. You really wanna have a nice even matrix of turf grass and low growing flowers that way we can maintain that recreation that goes along with the traditional turf grass lawn, while still providing some forage for our pollinators to feed on. Welcome to the ETC by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer. We are excited to talk with James Wolfen from Metro Blooms in this episode. He's going to talk with us about transitioning yards, boulevards, and other neighborhood landscapes into quality pollinator habitat. Hi, James. Welcome to the podcast. Hey there, Nathan. Thank you for having me. So you are a part of a Minneapolis nonprofit called Metro Blooms that works with communities to tackle environmental challenges through co-creating resilient landscapes and clean watersheds and embracing values of equity and inclusion. Tell us more about how Metro Blooms works with communities. So we try to partner with communities in a number of ways. For many years now, Metro Blooms has been tackling both education related to environmental issues as well as the installation of green infrastructure. So that's always been the case. What's really kind of new to us is increasing our focus on environmental justice work and trying to put green infrastructure and education in areas where green spaces are typically underrepresented or they're lacking in prevalence. And something that's kind of new to our mission that we really want to focus on is this idea of not just creating resilient landscapes, but really co-creating resilient landscapes where if we truly want to build capacity within environmental justice neighborhoods and underserved communities, we need to bring in community leaders, residents, all of these individuals who have historically been excluded from these kinds of conversations. We want to bring them into the planning process as early as possible. That way we're not building a landscape for a community, we're building a landscape with a community. We have their goals in mind, we're keeping communication constant throughout the development of the project, and it's really something where we're working hand in hand with community members rather than just delivering a service. Why is the mission of Metro Blooms so important in today's environment? Metro Blooms' mission is so important right now because I think now more than ever, everyone is realizing that if we want to have a sustainable future, we need to make changes to how we manage land. And when we think about kind of the current environment when it comes to land management, there is a ton of energy and motivation for putting green plants in the ground. It has so many possible benefits. In these areas where we're typically lacking green spaces, one, we're reaching a completely new audience, or at least an audience that doesn't have a seat at the table historically. And by bringing more people into the world of gardening, we'll help to create a greener world. But what we're also doing is we're doing a better job of creating and connecting pollinator corridors, where in our wealthier areas, in our wider areas, it's always great to install a new planting, but you're really not making new connections. You're kind of just adding to a corridor that's already in place. 
which is still great. But when we think about just the sheer ecological value of installing a new planting, we actually see increased value of putting in a pollinator planting in an area where there's not as much green space in place. So if we want to build and strengthen new pollinator corridors, hitting these underserved communities has incredible value, not only for the residents and communities themselves, but also for these pollinators that we're trying to conserve. James, you're an ecologist and the sustainable landscape manager for Metro Blooms. Tell us about your background and your work. I grew up in Queens, New York, in the most urban of urban communities. And as you might guess, we really didn't have quite too much green space. And as a kid and to this day, I always enjoyed being outside, whether it was playing sports, recreation, you name it, I want to be outdoors. And that's something that resonates with me, where even my local community park was all blacktop. We didn't have a single blade of grass within the park. And in coming to Minnesota, it's been incredible to see just how uh, active a community this is. So as an undergrad student, I studied ecology and I was looking for opportunities or different avenues where I could take my love for science and turn it into a possible career pathway. And uh, my older brother, who happens to be an entomologist, he was always encouraging me that if I wanted a job in a lab kind of putting science to work, I should check out entomology. And my response, believe it or not, was, nah, bugs are boring. But after enough pestering, he kind of got to my head and I took the intro to entomology course, and lo and behold, I absolutely fell in love with it. So my first job as a college student was in a pollinator ecology lab with a professor by the name of Dr. Delaney, who is one of the most influential and positive forces that's ever entered my life. And she was the kind of person where if she studied, you know, the rate at which paint dried, you could bet that, that is something that I would be studying today and be just as passionate about but she happened to study pollinator health and bees and their foraging behavior. And that passion, I kind of just soaked it up like a sponge. So after my undergraduate work and this newfound love for pollinators and pollinator health, I went to the University of Minnesota where I had this incredible opportunity to work on the Beelon project with Drs. Marlo Spivak and Eric Watkins at the University of Minnesota. This project was an absolute hit with the community and it was so exciting to work on where it's really a rarity where there's so much community public interest in a graduate research project. But it was this kind of incredible new frontier to explore where we're always doing work thinking about how we can, you know, restore prairies or create native habitats in areas where um, humans have dominated the landscape. But the one exception to that typically has been the turf lawn, where it's kind of this new area that we're trying to study to see how can we make this area work for both humans and pollinators? And a student that came before me, his name is Ian Lane, he kind of figured out how we can make this work, how we can get it established. And I came in to figure out what pollinators are actually going to use these bee lawns. And we were completely floored by the sheer diversity of pollinators that were visiting not only the Dutch white clover, but the other species as well in the bee lawns, the South Peel, the Creek Thyme, where in total we saw greater than 60 bee species in our bee lawns, and that was only in Minneapolis, so a very small uh, geographic range. So after my graduate work, I went on to work for Metro Blooms as a sustainable land care manager, where my work is all about, one, educating the public on different kind of uh, turf alternatives and green infrastructure options that exist for land managers, whether you're on a commercial scale, or a resident who just wants to make a change in your own yard to better pollinators and the environment. Um, in addition to that, I help lead a lot of green infrastructure projects 
uh, specifically in environmental justice neighborhoods. One that I'm really excited about is the what we call the Boulevards Project, where in Northside Minneapolis, we've received funding from the city of Minneapolis to convert traditional urban boulevards into what we call boulevard bioswales. What that means is we dig out some of the soil, we replace the turf grass with native plantings, and with those two steps, you now have a planting that's one, gonna capture a whole lot of stormwater runoff, and two, gonna provide some really great forage for our pollinators. I also help to lead what we call our uh, Blue Thumb Sustainable Land Care Program, where one of the main needs that our community partners have indicated is they want to see more youth and young adults exposed to career and academic opportunities within the green sector. Um, something that you're probably well aware of, Nathan, and your audience as well, is that the kind of environmental workforce is a little bit of a monoculture if we're going to use an ag kind of word, where it tends to be white dominated, even tends to be male dominated to an extent. So this uh, sustainable land care program, we really want to bring in new faces to that kind of green sector. And finally, the last project that I want to talk about is one that I am incredibly passionate about, is I also help to lead the Launch to Lightnings program. That's a program where um, the state of Minnesota has allocated about a million dollars to um, converting traditional turf grass lawns to any sort of pollinator-friendly planting. Uh, we try to make this accessible to the community, one, by giving out individual support grants where we're putting money and education directly into people's pockets and brains, I guess you could say. But we're also trying to promote all sorts of DIY do-it-yourself projects. So uh, the Launch Leggings project has been incredible so far in its first phase, and we hope it can continue into the future and uh, really encourage Minnesotans to think beyond just having turf grass in their front yard and instead consider what's the right planting for my intended use for the intended function I envision for my yard area. Earlier, you talked about co-creating these landscapes. So talk a little bit about how communities are involved in your work. This is something that I can't even begin to tell you how much I've learned since starting at Metro Blooms, where, you know, even before joining Metro Blooms, my vision for a successful project was you show up to the site, you install the planting, and you leave. I had never even considered how there are better kind of ways to make a lasting impact on the community you work with. And what we're seeing more than more is if you want to have true community investment, you need to include community leaders, community organizations within the planning process of all of the projects that you're involved in. A really great example of that is the Boulevard project that I led and how we've learned and improved. So in 2019, that was the first year that I led that Boulevard project. And if you were a resident in Northside Minneapolis that wanted to be involved, you click the link on our website and we would come out, do a site consultation and install the plant. It was really, you know, just a pipeline where we tried to streamline it as much as possible. What we found was that we were really only reaching the wealthier, whiter individuals in the neighborhood. And with an environmental justice project, your goal is really to reach as diverse a community as possible and really kind of build community capacity, increase community involvement as much as you can, really get that kind of buy-in community. So when we saw that we were only reaching the wealthier and whiter community members, or primarily the wealthier and whiter community members, it was a little disappointing for us. So we did a KISS analysis of our project, we tried to identify areas where we could improve. And the first thing that we knew we wanted to improve was kind of our community participatory or engagement and outreach processes. So the very next year, we led a similar project based in the same neighborhood, trying to reach the same exact residents. But the main thing that we changed 
was we brought in community leaders and community organizations from day one to help us plan out the project, help us envision what a successful planting would look like, where my vision of a successful planting is not at all equal to what the community I'm trying to serve envisions for a successful planting. And we also got those community leaders involved in the engagement and recruitment process, where rather than going on a website and clicking the link, we were collaboratively knocking on doors, we were in community newsletters, we were trying to reach residents in as many ways and avenues as humanly possible. And what we found was that these efforts paid off dramatically, where we were involving so many individuals that were new to gardening, we were bringing in renters, we were completely rethinking what a planting looks like, where the plantings that are accessible for a homeowner aren't necessarily accessible to a renter. So we started using uh, stand-up planter boxes where if a renter moves, they can actually take their planting with them. So it just makes a huge difference to not only do work within a community, but really work alongside that community. And the earlier you get through that door, if you can start partnering on day one, it's going to absolutely make a huge world of difference. What are some of your favorite impacts of your work with Metro Blooms? So when I was a student, I absolutely loved research. I love being a scientist. But one of the things that was missing, or at least not as prevalent as it is right now, is working hand in hand with residents and communities, where being able to see the impact that this has on people's day-to-day -day lives, on their perception of their neighborhoods, it is truly incredible. Bringing green plantings, bringing beauty, bringing natural resource conservation to these areas, these neighborhoods that are unfortunately historically an afterthought, seeing how that impacts community members, community organizations, and community leaders has been truly a blessing. What's also been really exciting for me personally is trying to think about how the work I do on a day-to-day -day basis is actually working to kind of diversify the workforce where the uh, Sustainable Land Care Program is a newer project for us. We're already starting to train so many residents from underserved communities, youth and young adults almost exclusively. And what we're finding out is the barriers that are keeping individuals out of these opportunities are easier to overcome than you might expect. Some of the main barriers that individuals are telling us about as we you know, survey youth and young adults that might want to explore these kinds of career routes is one, they flat out didn't know that they exist. So we're seeing so many youth and young adults that have an interest in the outdoors, that love to work with their hands and love to work outside. They just didn't realize that these kinds of passions can eventually be parlayed into career or academic opportunities. So one, being able to you know, let youth, let young people know that these opportunities are available, it makes a world of difference. And two, it's that Youth and young adults from underserved communities, one of the main obstacles they highlight is that there's a lack of familiar faces within the workforce. So something that I've been trying to do is we're doing really exciting collection of career spotlight videos that just highlight success stories of individuals in the green workforce. They tell their stories, they talk about how their work gives back to the community, how it's a highly successful, highly fruitful career opportunity. And we hope that sharing these stories can motivate youth and young adults, especially youth and young adults from underserved communities to explore career and academic pathways within green infrastructure. So really the, the most exciting thing about the work that I get to do is 
take that knowledge that I was lucky enough to get through my studies at Delaware, Minnesota, and even as I continue to learn at Metro Blooms and share it with community members, especially community members that are kind of new to the table, so to say. Where can listeners look to learn more about landscaping for pollinators and get involved if they're interested? Education is the most powerful tool we have, and that's something that uh, Metro Blooms and Blue Thumb loves to bring into the community. So we do an assortment of different workshops that are uh, open to the public. We do resilient yards workshops that are about a diversity of a BNP, which stands for best management practices that can be implemented into a yard. In addition to that, I need two other workshops. One is a BLON workshop, which as you guessed, it is all about how you can plan and install a BLON within your own home turf lawn. I promise you it's probably easier than you think And I also lead a planting for pollinators workshop, which is all about, I kind of like to think of it as a new take on landscape design. So part of the beauty of Metro Blooms is when you think traditionally about landscape design, the premium or the focus is placed on aesthetics. What I love so much about the work we do with Metro Blooms is we kind of place an even focus on the aesthetics, natural resource management, especially stormwater, and pollinator conservation. So specifically with this planting for pollinators workshop, we take those landscape design principles and place a huge strong emphasis on how to best design and install a planting to protect pollinators. This includes how and where to site planting, selecting species to match the local environment and kind of staggering out bloom times to make sure that there's constant access to forage and even landscape design principles like Where do I put my small plants? Where do I put my tall plants? How can different plant species work together? So if you specifically want to learn about landscaping for pollinators, I would really highly recommend checking out our Planting for Pollinators workshops. I have a last question for you today. I suspect you're familiar with social media apps. So what is a hashtag or a brief message that you wish would really take off right now, like millions of people are sharing it? Yeah, if there is one message that I would love to share with the community, it would be a hashtag that we use quite a bit, and that would be hashtag be the change. So we add that second E so that it's B-E-E, the change. And really the emphasis there is that your individual plantings absolutely make a difference. So with all the education that I do about protecting pollinators, sustainability, and even with the conservation of, uh, of an endangered species, Sometimes there's that little disconnect as to how can my one planting make a difference in this large world of climate change, uh, declining pollinator health, etc. And I assure you that the work that you do in your home, at your community, in your yard, absolutely makes a difference. The analogy that I like to use is it's kind of like um, a highway with road stops where if we're all on this pollinator highway, I want you to think of your own individual planting as one pit stop along that pathway, where if you make that effort to install a beautiful, even small, as small as 25 square feet, a little pollinator garden, it works as a rest stop where pollinators can stop, grab their nectar, grab their pollen, and continue on their journey. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the ETC. Huge thanks to James for joining us to talk about Metro Blooms. Visit metroblooms.org to learn more and get involved. If you want to learn how to protect your environment and your native pollinators, consider attending a Blue Thumb workshop with James. 
you can register at bluethumb.org forward slash events. This episode was recorded over Zoom in 2021. Look for the ETC and subscribe on any of your favorite podcast services. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy Nature in Place.